You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. Been looking forward to preaching. I didn't almost make it because Priscilla almost knocked me out with the pulpit a bit earlier. It's all right. Sweet. Sweet as. Just as uh, as cool Janet doing communion. She got to preach in her home church where she sang her first solo at age five. Right at the same altar area. But just as she was doing communion, I got a I got a text with a picture from. Uh, uh, my friend, our friend, who leads C3 Mackay, and our son was doing communion for the first time at the exact time Janet was doing communion. So that's cool. That's very cool. Rang me early this morning, went through his message with me, and I was pretty proud of him, all the work that he did and everything. How are you guys doing? Good morning, church. Good to be home. So glad to be home and uh, to be here again. Just, man, the last few months just feel like it's in the twilight zone. To, I was up at, uh, obviously up at North Queensland for Christmas. I'm out walking as I do and it's mid-30s, humid as. Uh, and then all of a sudden within a day I'm on a plane. I head to the northern hemisphere and I'm out walking and it's snowing on me and it's minus four. Um, yeah. And, uh, but it was, a, it was an interesting time. Janet got to nurse her mother into eternity, uh, which was special, you know, instead of in an in- institution to be able to do that at home. Uh, with one of your kids is a blessing. So thanks for praying for us. We certainly felt it and, and experienced your, the power of your prayer while we were there and really appreciate it. But it is good to be home. This is home. I don't know if you picked up, Janet's really got her accent back. Um, I don't where were, I, I was somewhere the other day and somebody asked me, oh, so are you from Ireland? I went, yeah. <laughs> Ireland. We do have Irish blood, and it's my grandparents were the Baileys. So there you go. Hey, who's, uh, who's been loving the strong study in the book of James? Do you love it? Come on, need some meat at times. Uh, we, anytime we could get to where there was Wi-Fi because we didn't have it at the house, um, we'd go to Starbucks or something. I'll tell you about one of the experiences later. Um, we're, we're able to listen to some of the sermons uh, once we're there and pick them up on Wi-Fi. That was great. They've been quite meaty and challenging at the same time. Uh, You know, this book has muscle. I I mean to tell you, you can't be faint-hearted and read James. Martin Luther wanted to rip it out of the Bible. He did. He called it the straw epistle. He hated it. Absolutely hated it. No, he did. Because he 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 got revelation on the grace of God and righteousness through faith. And he reads James and says, no, righteousness comes through works. That's not what James is saying. Martin Luther just, you know how it is. You get, you, you get transformed into something and everything over there is horrible. Everything you used to think about over there is now, it's anathema. It's, it's rubbish. But it, this is a meaty book and you cannot be faint-hearted and read this book. I think a lot of Christians don't read it often. How, how many marks in your Bible and James do you have? Hmm. Well, let's, just, let's, let's recap a couple of things. It was written by the half-brother of Jesus. Now, you can just imagine that. Growing up with your older brother telling you he's God. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one everybody's been longing for, praying for, waiting for, sent from heaven. They go, yeah, right. You're up yourself, aren't you? You know what an Aussie would say to him? 
It actually says in the book of John that not just James, but all of his brothers did not believe in him. As a matter of fact, at one stage, they tried to trick him to go to Jerusalem to get caught out. Imagine that. Hey, little snot, you don't smack him. If he wasn't perfect, he'd probably have beat him up at that moment. <laughs> but, you know, but here's the deal. Eventually, we don't know how it happened, but it must have been radical for James to get converted. Think about that. I mean, everything he saw about his brother was, oh, you can imagine his friends, so your brother's Jesus. Yeah. He just turned water into wine. Yeah, I know. we got to go down and buy it. <laughs> he just healed a blind man. Yeah, I know. I have to toss coins to him. And you can imagine being, and he gets radically born again and saved. So you can understand how dramatic his salvation was. He just couldn't handle half-hearted Christianity. Because for him, it was all or nothing. You need to know that when you read this book. He's saying, hey, you don't treat my brother like that. He's God. I'd love to say that, but my brother's not anywhere like that. And, and, and he turned to him, and he's calling us to the same kind of commitment. Because he's writing to the infant Jewish church. And here's the deal. Some of them had decided, yeah, we think we could follow this guy called Jesus. And yet they rode the fence. And James and the book of Hebrews are very, very kin to each other. They are addressing these half-hearted people that say, I'm in when it's good or when I get blessed or when it suits me. But when there's a bit of pressure on at home, no, I'm not in. James says, well, then just don't come in at all. And he calls them to a genuine faith that works. Like if there are no works, he says it very clearly, there's no faith, period. Your faith shows that, your works show that you've got a faith. And his, his book is really, it's very direct, it's very, it's authoritative, and it's unique. Listen, let's put this up. Out of 54 imperatives, you know what an imperative is. An imperative is something you must do. It's a commandment. It's an action you have to take. No other book is like this. Out of 50, out of 108 verses, there are 54 times James says, you've got to do this. You can't treat my brother like that. You've got to do this. And he calls for action in every other verse in his book. There's no kind of pandering around and going, oh, you guys are awesome. You guys are so sweet. Jesus loves you no matter what you do. He's going, bull. He does. It doesn't matter what you do. We're, we're talking about the Son of God here. And he calls us for action. Let me read a little bit to you about this book out of a commentary. Just listen for a minute. It's not on the screen. Hey, give Andrew a hand. He's been dealing with some quirky, you know, he's doing a good job. I mean, you know, you, know, you know the scripture out of Hezekiah where two or three wires are bound together. There is a demon in the midst of them. Yeah, right, Todd? Okay. And Andrew's doing well casting the demon out for you. He's staying up. Okay. But this one's not on screen, so have a listen. James' style is both energetic and vivid, conveying profound concepts with crisp, well-chosen words. The sentences are short, simple, and direct. He used many metaphors and similes with a touch of poetic imagination. In fact, the book of James probably has more figures of speech, analogies, and imagery from nature than all of Paul's letters together. Exhortations, rhetorical questions, and illustrations from everyday life give spice to this little book. This is no airy-fairy book here. I mean, this is the, where the rubber hits the road. You don't have any works, don't have any faith, period. 
There's no negotiating. There's no arguing. There's no new age interpretation. There's no rainbow colored interpretation to this scripture. Anyway, we'll stay off that. Let me keep reading. The purpose of this potent letter is to exhort the early believers to Christian maturity and holiness. The letter deals more with a practice of the Christian faith than with its precepts. He's not trying to build doctrines here. He's trying to tell us how to live. James told his readers how to achieve spiritual maturity through a confident stand, a compassionate service, careful speech, contrite submission, and concerned sharing. Do you like that, Nate? All the C's? Love. We love alliteration, don't we? He preaches it. Nate preaches it so well. He does. He dealt with every area of the Christian's life. What he is, what he does, what he says, what he feels, and what he has. Period. What a book. Who would want to cut it out? So, I have to tell you, before we get to the text where we're up to, um, it brings us face to face with one of our, every one of us, one of our greatest nemesis. Really does. And I have to admit, you know, when Pastor Nate emailed me and he said, hey, joint service, I don't think you'd probably want to run off to the camp just as soon as you get home. I'm still waking up like at three in the morning and stuff like that. Um, and I said, yeah, nah. And he said, would you like to preach? I was excited. Hey, I'm going to get to preach. I haven't preached since November. So you guys be gentle. My first time since November. You've got to encourage me. You've got to feed me. And I thought I was going to be given the passage that speaks about faith and works. Man, I can preach that. And he says, you're doing James 3. I went, oh, I'm going to ring in sick. <laughs> and here's a reason. I feel the least qualified to speak about this issue. Um, I have flaws in this area. I wrestle with this in my faith as much as, if not more than you do. And I don't always win that wrestling match. And you'll see what I mean as we read through the text. Maybe you'll be looking in a mirror too, as James talks about. So let's start James 3, verse 1. You're with me, Andrew. 3, 1. We there? Look at that. He got the demon out. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because we know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Pause, let me say something there. It's an interesting one to begin this section of Scripture with. James is not belittling the gift of teaching here. I mean, for heaven's sakes, he's a teacher. He is the leader of the church at Jerusalem. He leads the council, he leads decision-making, he leads the apostolic band, and he leads the believers. So he is not belittling teaching because he said, he says, we who teach. He's including himself. And he's not discouraging people from using that gift if they have it. So every one of you that God's been tugging at your shirt tail saying, it's about time you lead a V group, this is not your out. <laughs> Don't use this verse to say, there you go, I'm not meant to teach. You'll be taking it out of context if you do. Because the verse isn't used to shy away from the gift and the calling to teach. As a matter of fact, it's an admirable one. Very admirable. It's in the top four. Five. Fivefold. Depends on if you combine pastor teacher. And it'd be taking it out of context. And it'd be violating other scriptures to say, there you go. Teaching is <laughs> invalid. By the way, too. Anybody ever tell you that tongues is the most abused gift or prophecy is the most abused gift has not read the New Testament? The most abused gift is the gift of teaching. Go check it out how many times false teaching is blasted out of the water in the New Testament. Why? Because for about 
two, three, four hundred years, they didn't have New Testaments. All they had was manuscripts floating around. They had to rely on the teacher. And even before the New Testament was finished, there were false teachers abundantly floating around telling them all kind of things like, Jesus isn't really God. You think that started with a JW group. I'm telling you, it goes all the way back to the first century. All kinds of stuff. All kinds of heresies. And, and so, you, you know, just because there is an abuse of a gift, it doesn't take away the right use of a gift. Okay? So, remember who he's writing to. Who's James writing to? Particularly Christian Jews. Now, it translates down to us today, but back then he's writing specifically to brand new Jewish believers. And, and in their culture of their day, the teacher, who is also known as the rabbi, was exalted and given special privileges and headship at a table and people bowed to them when they walk in. Sometimes when I've gone places to preach, I'll have somebody rock up to the car and i get there. Can I carry your bag? And I go, no, I can. Do I look that old? They think it's an honor thing, and I think it's a put-down-my-age thing. Listen, I'll carry your bag. Matter of fact, I'll carry you in. No, but serious, serious. It is a good thing to honor. Don't get me wrong. But it's a wrong thing to set people up as an idol. Be careful. It leads to a fall. So all of a sudden, people are Christians, and they're going, Hey, we don't need any qualifications like a rabbi. We can teach. Because all of us are talking about Jesus, and, and so they're aspiring. Let me have my say, and they're doing it out of a motive to be exalted and promoted. They're not doing it out of the right motive. So I can remember over the years, um, people, I don't know how many people have come up to me saying, oh, you know, I really love to teach or preach. And I, I just respond with, Why? They get taken back thinking I'm going to go, come on, that's awesome. I'll put you up tomorrow. I just go, why? Why do you want to preach? And they go, oh, 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 I thought you were going to applaud me. I'm not trying to discourage them from using a God-given gift if they have that gift. I just want, I want them to know what's the reason you're doing this? Why are you doing this? Is it because you want to be heard or you've got something to say? Or is it because... You've got this compelling of God inside you. Like Jeremiah, his word is like a burning fire in my bones and I can't contain it. I just want them to know that their reason is right because we use our words, as James is about to talk about, to either grow people or not. And he said, you're going to be judged by that. I will stand before God one day for this sermon that I preached to you. How much of that was you, Keith? How much of that was just being funny? How much of that was entertainment? How much of that was you showing off? How much of that exalted me and built them? I don't take it lightly. When I used to use the folders, you know, old-fashioned day when I had the folders, I had in the front of my folder and I'd read it and I'd pray it every time I got up to preach that God's Word comes and it comes down and it, it does never return to Him void. God, I'm dealing with your word today, and I know it's not going to be empty. And it, let, let my words just kind of burn off, you know, and let your word pierce to the heart because it brings faith and it builds lives. So the deal is this. Words have the power of transformation. You can't think a thought without a word coming in your head. Did you know that? What comes first, the thought or the word? They come simultaneously. 
because your thoughts are formed by words. Your words then produce thoughts. I can't think about I can't even think what I'm about to say to you next without a word coming in my head. It's like, mm. So, now that we've got teaching out of the way, let's go to the, oh, let's go to the, let's go to the hard part. That was easy. That was easy. Wait a minute. Tea. What is this? I have a drink because this is getting tough. Okay. Number two. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. You realize that's a tongue-in-cheek verse? That's not rhetorical. That's like, yeah. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Isn't it amazing? When we're in the States, no, it didn't matter where we went when people heard, yeah, you're from Australia. First thing they said, I'm telling you, without fail, every person in the church, in the shops, everywhere, isn't that a shame about the animals? And Janet and I would go, and the people? Yes, but millions of animals and the people. But what's even more of a shame was little sparks were lit by people who have a destructive nature. James says, this is the way some people speak. He says, it's just a small spark, verse 6, but the tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, this is not talking about the lake of fire. The word hell there is the Jewish word Gehenna. Gehenna was a valley, a ditch kind of thing where they would burn their rubbish. And it was constantly burning and smoldering, and it had the worst of the stuff in it. And he said, this is where gossip and stuff like that comes from. Verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. Oh, I've got to tell you this story. My nephew, the sea and the animals. My nephew, who was state champion in wrestling, got a university scholarship to be on the wrestling team, went off track, big time, drugs, all kind of stuff. Um, lost his scholarship, everything. He got baptized at Church of the Highlands while we were there. So I called him, TJ, tell me what happened. He said, well, as you know, I like to go shark fishing. He said, I get in a little kayak, you know, like a Kobe kayak. I paddle out about a kilometer, drop my line, go back to shore and fish for the tiger shark. He said, I went out at night. I didn't take any kind of light with me. I'm about a kilometer out. Drop my line, and then all of a sudden something hit my, my canoe. Boom, he said, it threw me into the water. And he thought, oh, no. So he tries to get back into the canoe, and he... He's on the top of the thing. The thing hit the canoe again. Boom, put a hole in it and sunk it. He's a kilometer offshore. No light, no telephone, no nothing. Now, he, he's still pretty strong. He's a state champion wrestler. He starts trying to swim to shore. He gets, you, you need to understand that about two or three years ago, he took a girl out canoeing in a lake and this girl couldn't swim and they didn't have life vests on. She fell out and drowned and died. Um, so hence he turns to drugs, all kind of things. His life is screwed up big time. So TJ says to me, Uncle Keith, I got about 200 yards away from shore and my legs and my arms were jelly. And he said, 
the thought that went through my head was, this is God punishing me for killing that girl. But God, if you were real, somehow save me. He said, I don't know what happened. I don't know how it happened. But it was like some force under the water picked me up and took me to 100 yards from the shore. And he said, I got 100 yards away from the shore and I could see the shore. And he said, I'm still jelly and I'm going down just as the water's about to reach my mouth. I literally heard a voice in my ear say, TJ, stand up. And he said, all of a sudden my toes are touching the ground. And I walked in, fell to my knees, gave my life to Christ. (laughs) Amazing, isn't it? That's incredible. So he didn't tame the beast of the sea, but he got tamed in the sea. Verse 8, but no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Have you ever been standing there worshipping and all of a sudden one of those thoughts come through your head like you'd like to say to somebody? (laughs) Where'd that come from? Out of the same mouth. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Thank you, Pastor Nate, for giving me this passage. I think you only came back today because you want to see me blunder my way through this. I'm with Martin Luther. Let's tear it out of the Bible. Yeah. You read that and you go, right. You got one of two choices. You close the Bible and go, impossible. Or you work your way through it and say, there's a way. And we can view this passage from two angles. Scholars will say there are two angles. You can view it from where it begins that James is addressing teachers and the power of their words on people. And and he's charging them to use their words for the benefit of the body, the church. That's where he's using metaphors and similes and things. And he's writing to the community of faith. And you can look at it that way, and it's a valid way to look at it. Or the second way to view it is that James is addressing every believer about controlling the tongue and using the words... That will build people. Now, every one of you who are not a teacher say, let's take that interpretation. (laughs) He's having a go at them. No, no. I think it can apply both ways. Either way we look at the text, there's no doubt that we are in this together. Right? There we go. James said we all stumble in many ways, particularly in the way we talk. And I'm glad that James used the word we. Right? He's not standing up on a pedestal berating us. Hey, look at me. I'm perfect and you guys don't have it. Nobody likes a teacher preacher like that. Because I'm telling you, any teacher preacher like that is going to fall. Anybody that exalts himself, the Bible says that over and over. If you exalt yourself, you're going to fall. Humble yourself and you'll be exalted. Just be honest. And he says, we. He's including himself. And it makes no matter how good you are from the best teacher through the newest member of the church, we are not without fault in controlling the tongue. Right? Let's just face it now. And, and, you know, the best thing to do with an enemy is to face that enemy, not cower from it. The New Century Version says it this way. Go ahead and put it up. We all make many mistakes. If people never said anything wrong, they'd be perfect and able to control their entire selves. But the truth is, none of us are. 
And we don't control our entire selves. And that's what this book is about, learning how to grow in such a way that you can. Because each and every one of us has this small member in our lives that can dominate our world and the world around us. It's called the tongue. And it gets misused, doesn't it? So he gives three illustrations. The bit in the horse's mouth. You know what that represents? A very little thing taking a larger thing under its control. You ever ridden a horse? I think I'd rather ride my motorcycle. i got more control. When the horse decides it's going to do something, it's going to do something. But that little bitty bit you put between his teeth can determine where he goes. And that thing weighs more than ten of you, yet you can control it. That little tongue can control bigger things around you. It can control whole workplaces. Right? Right? You can, you can, you can create a toxic atmosphere at work just with that little thing. It's true. And then he talks about the rudder of a ship. By the way, you know, one of the reasons why Titanic hit the iceberg, don't you? It's not because the guys didn't see it. It's because once they did see it, the rudder was too small for the size ship it was to move it quickly. That's what it was. And yet James is saying, even though the rudder can move a ship, it determines a course or a destination of this mighty big thing. Your tongue will determine where you go. Your tongue will determine where others go. Hmm. That's tough, isn't it? And then he's got the little spark. And, and you know what it talks about here? How quick, it, how quick it moves and how much it destroys. You know how quick a whisper can move? And you usually start it this way. You know, I've got this concern about Pastor Nate, but don't tell anybody, but let me share it with you. <laughs> That's not a prayer concern. <laughs> oh, mate, just... Look, I'll give you a book about mine. You can go home and have devotions on them. Pray for me the rest of your life. You know what each of these have in common? They're much, much smaller than the thing they affect. You've got no idea how much your tongue can affect things powerfully. And you know what? It's true in the church using words to teach, to preach, to prophesy can be used to move the church in a direction, good or bad. Yeah. 1 John is about that. It's addressing a thing called Gnosticism. whole book is addressing this kind of teaching that's taking people away from the true Jesus. And it's just as true in our lives. Our words, as small as they might seem, no matter how we disguise them, can be hugely Hugely effective in relationships, at home, wherever. Lives can either be ruined or set on a good course. Right? So, let's go to the second thing. James makes it clear in this passage that the small has huge effect. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. In other words, man, the things that it achieves is out of this world. And I'm sure each of us have had times where someone's word... Gave us confidence or hope or assurance, courage to keep going. But we have also felt the sharp end of a dangerous tongue lashing that crushed us. I remember we first moved here. Our son was struggling in school. Over at Wyala, we had him in a public school and the principal just kept telling us, look, one day it'll just click. He'll get it. It'll just click. The click never happened. Took him to this U Butte specialist with all of his degrees in Sydney. So they did the analysis. John was now about 13 when this happened. We had to go back for a consultation with his doctor. 
I won't say what nationality he was, but he was an Australian. Um, and he sat there with us and Jono in the room, and he berated me and Janet for letting it go for so long, and you let this boy uh, go through this for so long, and now it's too late, and he will never come through this. And Jono's just, I can see him shrinking, 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 as this professional is telling him he will never learn. He will never grow. He will never achieve anything significant because you waited too long. And so for years of his life, he'd just shrug his shoulders and go, oh yeah, whatever. I can't do it. Doctor said I can't do it. The power of words. Interesting when he rang me this morning, he goes, oh dad. And he did all this research around the cross and everything Jesus went through. He's now talking about doing his degree in, in uh, human health and welfare and, and bringing that into the church, whereas he didn't even want to go to high school. You, you probably heard the saying, that the, the rhyme that kids use. You probably used it yourself. Stick and, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Put that one up, Andrew. I think it's next. Somewhere there. Somewhere there. It's not working, not rolling. You'll get it in a minute. Get out, demon. You know, you probably said that. You you probably grew up, somebody told you to say that rhyme. Sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but words or names will never hurt me. Why in the world did they tell us to say that? It's, It's a lie. They told us that because they know the power of words from a coach, a peer, a teacher, a doctor, a pastor, a parent. They know the power of words. And the rhyme didn't really help at all. No matter how many times you were like, sticks and stones, sticks and stones, sticks and stones, sticks and stones. You just cut to the quick. Because somebody significant that's supposed to build you has berated you and torn, and torn you down. Right? Coach, whatever. And the truth is that our words hold power. And throughout the Bible, God's word makes this clear. Word is powerful. Even when John was was talking about the coming of God to earth, he described him as the word. And the word became flesh. Right at the beginning of the Bible, within three verses, and God said, and there was. I mean, it's all the way through the Bible. The deal is this, there was creative power in the spoken word and there is saving power in the living word. Like this, the Bible says that there is the power of life and death in the tongue. Wow. But it's interesting too, even in the Old Testament, Leviticus tells us to choose life, which means choose life-giving speaking. You can apply that. And then there's the power to be creative or destructive. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11, it says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Understand in the Middle East, water is a, a very valuable commodity. I remember when we were going into Iraq, we stopped. This is way back when the war happened. We stopped at a roadside to get petrol and water and whatnot. We paid more for a liter of water than we did for a liter of petrol. Literally. Water is valuable. The mouth of the righteous is like, it's like, it's life. But the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Also, the tongue has the power to guide or misdirect. I love what it says in the message, James 3.1. Have we got that? Oh, it's good. That one came up. The demon's gone. Hallelujah. The power to guide or direct. Don't be in a rush to be a teacher, my friends. He goes on and says, because it's a highly responsible work. 
and they're held to the strictest of standards. Why? The power of words. And this is one of the imperatives that James uses. And in essence, he's telling us that something crucial in a commanding way, we're going to be held accountable for the words that we use to direct the body, build the body, shift the body, change the body. And many people have been, uh, many people have used the word to damage the body. I mean, who remembers, who remembers back in Waco, Texas, David Koresh? Anybody still remember that? A few of you? This was a nutcase. And and these nutcases are usually very intelligent. And they know how to use words. This David Koresh had a compound in Waco and it was one of these Christian communities. Be aware of Christian communities. They're often weird. He had this Christian community and it went really vile and weird. So much so he was, apart from all the bad stuff he was doing, he was saying that he was the Messiah. And in the end, American authorities stormed the compound, but he convinced everybody in the compound, hundreds of people, to commit suicide on the spot, that he would raise them up. Who remembers Jim Jones in Guyana? 900-plus people drank cyanide because he told them he would raise them up, that he could do that. He had the power of God. At one stage, he was a healing evangelist in America. And he convinced a 1,000 people to leave America, leave their possessions, set up in Guyana, South America, and live in this commune. And when the authorities came to rescue people, he convinced them. Bodies were stacked three high. Everything from children to grandparents. Because of the power of his words. Words are powerful. But we've also seen and experienced the power of positive teaching in the body of Christ. Haven't we? Prophetic Preaching, teaching, whatever. I'm sure right now you could come up and grab the microphone and give an example where you have been personally, profoundly affected by somebody speaking into your life with words. Just shifted you on course, which is like the, like the rudder of a ship. I was in uh, Argentina in 1994 at the uh, invitation of Ed Silvoso. We went to northern Argentina, this remote city. Do you guys go to Resistencia? You didn't go up north. Okay. So anyway, on the Sunday morning, cut it short. On the Sunday morning, the pastor of the church we're at said, look, we've decided to close down the service. We want you guys to pray for our kids that they catch this revival virus to take it to the world. Nobody knew but Janet. I went to Argentina with some questions about future ministry and direction. You know, you're at a watershed moment. Which way is it going to go? Am I going to do this? Am I not going to do this? Am I going that way or that way? Nobody knew but Janet. When he said, we want you to pray for our kids, I, I kind of shrunk back in the crowd and thought, I need people praying for me. This is ridiculous. I need to hear from God. Anyway, couldn't help it. Each one of us were around the building, had an interpreter. The kids just lined up in mass. So I, I started praying for them, as you do. Interpreter says to me, a little 13-year-old girl walks up, her head's down, all bashful and shy. Interpreter says to me, this little girl would like to pray for you and your ministry. So in typical patronizing adult fashion, I went, oh, that'd be nice. So she says to the little girl in Spanish, go ahead. Little girl slowly looks up into my eyes, one hand on one shoulder, the other hand on the other shoulder, and I went, oh, oh. And she started prophesying, this little 13-year-old girl. She answered every question in Spanish that I'd been asking God in English. I knew which way the water was going to go. Then she bowed her head, closed her, uh, bowed her head, took her eyes out off of mine, and slipped through the crowd and didn't want to be seen. The power of words. I'll not forget that. 
So let me start rounding this up. You know, you could read this text and think, there's no way I can live or practice right speaking. It's just not possible. So why even try? This is one of those ones that you just throw your hands up and go, yeah, whatever. I just don't think I'll read James again. Let me assure you there is a way. And James uses another one of his imperatives. This is an imperative, and I'm going to encroach on whoever's preaching next week. Because there is no division between verse 12 and 13. There is a way. And there's verse 13. Read this in the context of words. If you are wise and understand God's words, you could put in parentheses there, in what you say. Prove it by living and saying in a way that is honorable. Prove it. Don't just say you're a Christian. Prove it. Prove it by how you talk, what you say, who you talk to, and are they built up as a result of being with you? Prove it. There is a way. And let me tell you, willpower is not the way. You you can't just kind of grit your teeth and go, I'm not going to say anything negative today to anybody about anything. You probably then need to go hoarse and not able to speak at all. Because the issue is this. Here's the solution. First and foremost, it comes from the heart. That's where it starts. I mean, Proverbs says it very, very clear. Above all else, guard your heart. Um, the deal is this. When, when we come to God, He promises to give us a heart of flesh, not stone. I'll give you a new heart. We get a transplant. And when we come to Christ, we have this promise, we have this miracle where we don't think, we don't want to say those things. And when we say them, we go, why did I do that? We don't just berate people and tear them down and feel good about it afterwards. We had another experience. We were headed to Starbucks, as you do, to get on Wi-Fi. We'd stopped in a shop to get something. Went out and got Janet's mother's old 20-year-old car and leaving the car park, I noticed the car pulls out behind us and it's right on my tail. I'm going, what the? Anyway, get up on the highway, we get up on a light, and all of a sudden, a woman behind me in the car that was riding my tail gets out. Now, I'm not thinking American, believe it or not. I'm thinking Australian. I'm going, huh, she wants to tell me my tail lights are burned out or something. 20-year-old car, window doesn't go down, so I open the door. So I definitely wasn't thinking American. You just don't do that. You've heard of road rage and all kinds of stuff. Anyway, or just carjacking. And so she comes up, open the door, and I go, oh, hello. And she said, so you're going to give me the package back or do I call the police? I said, I beg your pardon? She said, are you going to give me my package or am I going to call the police? And I went, lady, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have a clue. She said, you took my package out of my car. I want it now or I'm going to call the police. And I said, go for your life. Shut the door. And, uh, and drove on to Starbucks. She tailed us all the way to Starbucks. We get to Starbucks. We get out of the car. And Janet says to her, listen, would you like to come check our car? And you just don't do that in America either. You'd like to come check our car. And she went, no, I'm calling the police. I said, go ahead. We go in Starbucks, order our coffee, get online. 10, 15 minutes later, three cop cars rock up. They've all got body armor and they got tasers and they got automatic weapons. And I'm going... Heck. So I said, Janet, stay here. I'll go out. I'm not guilty. I didn't take anything. I'll go outside. So I walked out, looked at the police officer. Hello. And he said, 
And he looked at the woman and said, can you be absolutely sure this is the man that took your package? And she went, no. At that moment, my tongue wanted to steer a ship. Anyway, the cop looks at me and he goes, would you mind popping the trunk? I said, yeah, no worries. Pop the boot, open the doors and said, we said, we told her she could search the car. We don't know what she's talking about. And all she said was this. I went into the shop only for three minutes, left the package in my car. And when I came out, it was gone. And because he was the one leaving the car park, I thought it was him. So she chases us all the way down the road, not realizing I could have been an idiot and killed her on the spot. I could have been my brother-in-law and opened the door and broke her nose. My brother-in-law said, oh, she ought to be glad it was you and not me. (laughs) No, serious, but here's the point. Without even thinking about it, willpower or or gritting my teeth and going, you stupid. I just went, you know what? I'm so sorry you lost your package. I don't know where that came from. I, I really don't. But I felt for her at that moment, you know, even though it didn't cause me any trouble. I mean, Janet was panicking. She's ringing, she's ringing her brother and her, her nephew is with the sheriff department. And, get Brian down here straight away. We don't want to get arrested. And, you know, she thought as we were exiting at the airport, we'd have these things on our passport. Criminal. As a matter of fact, when we got to Australia, they wouldn't let Janet through the gate. You know, the automatic thing. She took the package, right? No. But you know what? Without even thinking about it, because our relatives are going, that woman ought to be glad it was you and not us because we would have, and they would. But when you get a new heart, you don't want to. I mean, you might slip up and do that at times, but something inside your heart goes, oh, that's sick. That's not right. Even when they do you wrong, you go, that's not right. And we need to make a choice to keep our heart in check. Let me read, let me read a scripture for you as we start to close out of Proverbs 4. This is amazing from Solomon, verse 20. Good, Andrew, we got it. Awesome. My son, pay attention to what I say. Now that's powerful in itself, isn't it? Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Above else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Put away, now watch how he connects the heart to the mouth. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. It comes from the heart. But it doesn't just come from the heart, it comes from the spirit. Because the truth is, I think I didn't tell that woman off because I've got somebody else living in me who said, uh uh-uh, uh, you're not like that. You got a new heart. And the issue is this, in Galatians 5.22, it says, and I find this an amazing thing. The fruit of the Spirit is not spirit control, but self-control. The Spirit gives you and me the ability to control ourselves. Awesome. It comes from the Spirit. So this is about surrender. Who am I going to let have control? I think Pastor Nate said that earlier. Who are you going to, you're going to make a choice. And then lastly, it comes from the mind. Your mind is not disengaged. James 3, verse 9, in the, new, in, the, in the message says, With our tongues we curse the very men and women he made, watch this, in his image. Do you know what that, you, you know what dawned on me with that? Hang on a minute. The people I'm talking to like this are like God. They are his offspring. They might not be in his family yet, but they're still his offspring. They might be wayward children, but they're still his offspring. They are made like him. Would you talk to him like that? Get it into your head. 
regardless of what state they are in, they need the respect and the honor and, and, and the love that you would show to God. They're his offspring. It says it in Acts 17. We're his offspring. And so I, with my head, I go, hang on, hang on. Am I going to give them the dignity I would give to God? No matter what state they are in. And this talks about change. It's not just choice, but it's change. Because you know what? The word repentance literally means change of mind. If my mind changes, my mouth changes. Because I've got a new heart and I've got a spirit living inside me who gives me the ability to have self-control. Can we stand to our feet? So endeth the tough sermon. But now cometh the challenge to living. Close your eyes. I want you to do something. If you're like me, when you hear and read a passage like that, a situation will come to mind where you probably said the wrong thing to somebody and you hurt them with your words. When I do that, my first action is to justify it. Well, they did this and they were wrong. and And then the Spirit says, stop it. Just stop it. Didn't God say in his word, you do to people what you want them to do to you? I want you to think of somebody right now, eyes closed. I want you to let the Holy Spirit show you someone right now that you might have crushed with your words. One of your children, your parents, a teacher, a work colleague, somebody in church. Let the Holy Spirit shift your thinking right now to see them in the image of our God and Father. Tell the Lord, God, I'm sorry. You wouldn't treat your children like that. Why should I? And then you be led by the Spirit from there. But in this moment, do this. Tell yourself, I have a new heart. Tell yourself, I live with the Spirit. He is in me. Tell yourself, I can choose to use my words to build, to encourage, to strengthen people's lives. Father, I pray right now, this is a a strong word, but a very necessary word. I need this. I need it more often than I would like to recognize it. This is a moment of confession and forgiveness. Not that you reject us, but God, you want to restore, Lord, our ability to be life givers in what we say. God, some of us might have been so bent and hurt bitter that we haven't been able to be life-giving for a long time. Father, forgive us. Cleanse us from that bitterness. Heal us. We, we heard that you're a way maker, a healer, promise keeper. And we claim the promise of your word now that if we confess our sins, you are faithful, you are just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to heal us. So right now, I pray all over this building, there is healing, there is cleansing, there is forgiveness, there is restoration in Jesus' name. 
And as verse 13 says, we will prove an honourable living by how we speak to each other and to this world. Because with our mouth, God, we praise You. We, 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 we gush forth praise and, and honour to You. And we want to do the same to those around us. People made in Your image. We thank You for Your Word because it steers and corrects and guides and builds our life. Because You have destined us to be better people. And we thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.